Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. If you wouldn't mind taking your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 31. And we're going to pick it up starting at verse number 19. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 31. And in verse number 19 the Bible says, Now therefore write ye this song for you, and teach it to the children of Israel, and put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land which I swear unto their fathers, that floweth with milk and honey, that they should have eaten and filled themselves in wax and fat. Then they will turn to other gods, serve them, and provoke me, and break my covenant. And it shall come to pass, when many evils and troubles are befallen them, that this song shall testify against them as a witness. For it shall not be forgotten out of the mouth of their seed, for I know their imagination, which they go about even now, before I have brought them into the land which I swear." And then in verse number 22, Moses therefore wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Now bounce with me in verse number 30. And Moses spake this in the ears of all the congregation of Israel, the words of this song, until they were ended. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31? The book of Deuteronomy chapter 31. And notice with me in verse number 19, right, notice the phrase, write ye this song. Write ye this song. And with the Lord's help, this is more of an encouraging sugar fluff message. We need a good encouragement every now and again, dealing with the idea of him writers. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the great privilege it is to be in your house. And Lord, I know we're doing things a little bit abnormal today, but we're here to be an encouragement to dear folks, and we're thankful that we can learn more about how you've used these people of history, how you've used these people to give us uh, these wonderful hymns that we could sing praises to you. And again, just direct our thoughts, be with us, and Lord, I'm asking that you would give us a great encouragement through this because of this message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, we've already gone through quite a bit in this series of what the Bible has to say about music. And as we end it up, we want to end it on a high note. We want to end it with some encouragement. And what we're going to do is we're going to examine the lives of just seven hymn writers. Of course, there's many, many, many more hymn writers, but we just chose seven. And from the lives of these hymn writers, we want to see more about what God did with them. Now, sometimes people may have an idea that for a hymn writer, that they have the perfect life, that everything is rainbows and buttercups, everything is butterflies and happiness. But many of the hymn writers went through the same things that you and I went through. Many of them gone through tragedy. Many of them had heartbreaks. Many of them had 
ailments and limitations. And yet God was able to use them where they were at. And that's what I mostly want to encourage you. That if God can use them, he might even been able to use you. To do things for his work and his way. One of the things that God has done is he's given all of us different talents and different abilities. Some people can sing. I definitely cannot. There are some people who could teach. Some people cannot. There are some people who could write poetry and write songs. Other people don't have that line of thinking. I know for me, I'm a history type person. Many people say when they get discouraged, they go to the Psalms. Me, I go to the historical books. The Psalms to me are one of my hardest books. In fact, because the way that I'm designed, uh, the Psalms are probably my least knowledgeable book. Meaning if there's any book of the Bible that I'm least knowledgeable on, that would be probably the Psalms. In fact, many of you probably have a better understanding of some of the Psalms than I do. But that's just showing that we're all made up in different ways. And so to be able to use your skills and use your abilities that God has granted you to further the cause of Christ, to encourage others to point to him, is a wonderful thing. And so with this, I would like to go over the lives of some of the hymn writers and see some encouraging things about their life. First of all, we're going to come to a person by the name of John Newton. John Newton, who lived in the 1700s, let's learn a bit about his life. John Newton, he was a slave trader before he came to know the Lord. In fact, he, his mother had passed away when he was a young kid. He wanted to join and see the world uh, uh, sow his wild oats. And he got a little bit more than he bargained. He actually got shipwrecked somewhere. And he actually became a slave on an island. And he had to uh, eventually escape. And he found his way to become a slave ship captain. And was involved in the slave trade. And he was such a foul and, and um, uncouth man. That even his own... Um, crew hated him. One day he fell overboard and because he was so hated they didn't send a lifeboat. They didn't send a life dinghy. They didn't send anything. They sent a harpoon and harpooned him in the leg and brought him up with, uh, by the rope and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. But there was a time he came to know Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And everything changed. He became a preacher and became a pastor of a church. And it was during the time when he was trying to explain his own testimony. He wrote the song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And again, Amazing Grace was his life story. Talking about how he was lost but now he's found. He was blind, but now can see. Oh, what amazing grace that God had. And of course, he was spent the rest of his life not only preaching the gospel, but he did his best to stamp out and get rid of the slave trade. And because of his influence, he influenced a young politician by the name of Wilbur Wilberforce, who was instrumental in outlawing all slavery within Great Britain. And again, what a testimony and influence that he had. Well, his influence just didn't stop at him. There was another man by the name of William Cowper, who also lived at the same time frame. In fact, him and um, excuse me, John Newton actually worked together putting together hymn books. 
William Cowper has an interesting testimony. He was plagued with mental illness all of his life. And he suffered through depression. He suffered through suicidal tendencies. In fact, there was a time that he had to go through an interview for a job. And he was so frightened over standing before someone for an interview. He went to try to commit suicide. And unfortunately, it didn't come to pass. They put him in a mental institute. Um, during that time, he was there in a mental institute for about 18 months. And the psychiatrist who worked with him at that time said, the best thing I could do for you is give you a Bible. And while he was in a mental institute, he read for himself the book of Romans and he came to know Jesus Christ as his personal savior in an insane asylum, reading the Bible for himself. Well, he heard about John Newton and he... Uh, he wanted to learn from someone, and so he moved to become a member of the church where John Newton was at. Now, he still suffered through a lot of depression, and he always just struggled with salvation. He knew he was saved, but because of his depression and because of who he was, he just struggled with it. And it was John Newton who kind of encouraged him to start writing. In fact, William Cowper didn't even start writing songs until he was 50 years old. But William Cowper was used to write, There's a fountain filled with blood, all for a closer walk with God. And God moves in mysterious ways. <clears throat> Again, he didn't start writing until he was 50 years old. And yet we still sing some of those songs today and we're thankful for the influence. It was because of John Newton uh, working with him. He wouldn't have wrote a single song if it wasn't for a preacher who kept encouraging him and saying, you could do it. God could use you. God can use you. And because of that encouragement, he took a step to do things that he didn't even know he can do yet. And God used him in a matter of ways. And again, because he was good friends with John Newton, uh, it changed his life. Let's cover another man, if you don't mind. Charles Wesley, once again, living in the 1700s. Now, Charles Wesley, he was saved after becoming a missionary. He uh, was a missionary, went to Georgia in the New Land, uh, on the colony of Georgia, tried to win Indians to the Lord without him being saved himself. He just tried to show them the work salvation that he had been taught all of his life. And uh, on the way back, him <coughs> and his brother, after they failed as missionaries, happened to be on the ship with some Moravians, some Bible-believing soul winners, and they were one to the Lord on the trip back home from the mission field. And it was during the time that the Wesleys were used to see great revival what was called historically as the first great awakening that shook Europe and shook America for the cause of Christ. In fact, it was because of the first great awakening that it helped prepare America to become its own country. Thanks to the preaching of the Wesleys and George Whitfield. Charles Wesley wrote over 5,500 hymns. That's quite a bit. In fact, many of them we still sing today. We have the hymn, And Can It Be? He also wrote for a thousand tongues to sing. He also wrote, Jesus, lover of my soul, and one you're very familiar with, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, was written by Charles Wesley. And again, his songs were instrumental 
and helping the revival come out without the works of both the preaching of John Wesley and the music of Charles Wesley, the Great Awakening probably would not have happened. Of course, we know that it was God's Holy Spirit that worked, but those were the two instruments that were used. It was a hymn writer that helped bring revival in those early days. Let's cover another lady by the name of Fanny Crosby. Many people are familiar with her. She was one of the most prolific uh, hymn writers in our songbook. Lived from 1820 to 1950. 15 rather. Now at six weeks old, a doctor had made a mistake. Uh, she had uh, a slight irritation in her eyes because of a, a illness, a flu type thing. And the regular doctor was missing. And so they called for a replacement doctor who was kind of a quack, didn't know what he was doing. And he messed medication up. And it scarred her eyes and blinded her for the rest of her life. But even by her own testimony, she said, I never had a single day where I resented and had bitterness against that man. She had such a forgiving spirit. Now, being born blind, especially in those days, proved to be quite a challenge. Her grandmother decided to be her eyes, and she helped Fanny Crosby see the world around her. It was because of her grandmother taking her blind granddaughter, and she would describe colors and describe visuals and try to help her to understand the world around her, even though that she was blind. It was also this grandmother who decided she was going to teach Fanny Crosby the Word of God. And she invested and taught Fanny Crosby. Now again, because Fanny Crosby could not see, there was no way that she could read the Bible for herself. So what she had to do was memorize Scripture. And soon, young Fanny Crosby was memorizing entire passages of Scripture. And she developed such a wonderful memory because at a young age, they taught her to memorize Scripture. And that was the only Bible reading she had by uh, citing scripture for herself and it just truly caused her to have a memory like none other because the word of God is powerful and it is able to do such things. She was sent to a school of the blind and after being there at the school of the blind for about seven years she became a teacher at the school of the blind for 11 years. So she was there as a student then became a teacher and taught other blind children how to survive and educate them and the world around them. She ended up proving to the government that the blind could be educated with proper training. During those times in the 1800s that people did not think that the blind could be educated nor would it be worth the price. But she was able to prove and do quite a few things to say that the blind are people. They have rights. They can learn. They're not stupid just because they're blind. And she invested in it. In fact, in 1943, 1843 is what it should have said, 1843, she became the first woman to speak before the United States Senate. And because of her poems and her personality, she moved many of the senators to tears to hear what she had to say. <laughs> Through those testimonies, uh, uh, she helped move the cause for blind education. And because of her testimony, because of the way of her personality, she actually became personal friends with many U.S. presidents and had great influence over those presidents. 
In addition, she did not become a hymn writer until she was in her 40s. Yet she's the most prolific hymn writer we have, but she didn't even start till she was over 40. Just to encourage you that people could be used at all ages of your life. God can use you. She wrote over 8,000 hymns. Many of them we still sing today. She wrote most of her hymns after midnight because she needed silence to concentrate. So she'd have to wait till everyone's in bed, all of the traffic outside is quieted, so that way she could have enough silence to write her songs. And yet it was after midnight she wrote many or most of the 8,000 hymns that she put together. What a wonderful testimony of her. Here are some of the songs that Fanny Crosby was used to write. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Jesus, keep me near the cross. All the way the Savior leads me. And to God be the glory. What great things he had done. And there are so many more in our hymn book. There are so many hymns written by Fanny Crosby. And we're thankful for how God used a blind lady. Not only to use it to promote the education of blind folks, but also to be able to write so many hymns and be used of God. What a fascinating study. If you could get a biography and study the life of Fanny Crosby, you won't be sorry. It is such an encouraging story and tell. Next we have Frances Havergal, uh, Ridley Havergal. She has a middle name Ridley because she was named after a great martyr of yesteryear. And so she always enjoyed having that middle name to remind everyone about the cause of Christ and the price that people paid. Now, Frances Havergal was always a very sickly person from her entire span of her life, from the time she was a little girl to finally she died. She died at a very young age and always had health problems, but she did not let that stand in her way. She became one of the most significant figures in all of Victorian England. <coughs> By age three, she had learned to read, and she used that to develop. Again, kids could be taught to read at a young age. She was taught to read. By the time she was seven, she was writing poems and was quoting the New Testament, Psalms, Isaiah, and several minor prophets at age seven. Again, young people could be taught. She didn't have the physical health, but she was able to use what she did have and be able to use for the Lord. At 18, she developed an illness that lasted nine years. It pretty much made her an invalid. In fact, she was supposed to have died because of it. But she determined that I, God can still use me. I'm not going to lay here and die. I'm still going to be used of God. And it was actually during her illness she wrote several hymns. In fact, the hymns composed during this nine-year span, she urges believers not to complain about their trials or complain about the sorrows that she has. That if she could write almost on her deathbed and still say God is good and God is still right, what use do you have to complain? Because God is still good and God is still right. Here's some of the songs she wrote. Take my life and let it be. By the way, she wrote the first two stanzas of that verse, the two verses. And then she came to a block. And it wasn't until... Uh, God reminded her that she's, this song is an 
a song of consecration and dedication. She was going to dedicate all of these things to the Lord. But God through the Holy Spirit reminded her she hadn't given everything to the Lord. So she immediately went inside, took all of her silver, all of her silverware, all of her dishes. And she dedicated them to the Lord and said, God, let these only be used for your glory. And came back and immediately had the third verse of the song. Take my life and let it be. She wrote, O Savior, precious Savior, who's on the Lord's side and like a river glorious. That's a a famous song. She actually wrote that within her nine uh, year period of sickness. In fact, it was because of her devotion, she was determined she was going to get out, even though she was invalid, to get up and try to do something. And it was because of writing in this song that she credits Uh, As she said, I'm not going to stay here and die, that she actually lived past that illness. She still died at a young age, but she could have been, her life could have been cut short a lot sooner because she could have very easily just laid there and died. And that song, Like a River Glorious, was written in that time period. Another hymn writer that we want to come up to is P.B. Bliss. I enjoy studying P.B. Bliss. Once again, used as a very special way during the time... um, of 1838 to 1876, once again, his life was cut very short. He was born in a small town of Rome, Pennsylvania, and he became an important songwriter and helped with the D.L. Moody campaigns with revival all across America and England. He died at the young age of 80 or 38 inside of a train accident as they were going, him and his wife were traveling from their home in Rome, Pennsylvania. Their train was crossing a bridge and the bridge collapsed. The train fell down the ravine. He, um, he was able to escape, but when he saw his wife was pinned into the wreckage and the fire was getting closer, he chose to crawl back into the train and stay with his wife, and they both perished together during that horrible train accident. But yet, during his lifetime, he wrote over 300 songs, and he edited many songbooks that we still use today, the songs and the hymn books. He wrote the song, Hold the Fort, for I am coming. He also wrote, Hallelujah, what a Savior. He wrote the song, Let the Lower Lights Be Burning. He also was used to write the music of It Is Well. So Horatio Spafford wrote the words, he wrote the music to it. But interesting enough, as I go back to the train accident, him and his wife had perished in that train accident. There was luggage burnt all over the place. They thought they had lost everything. Then they found... It, uh, hidden among the rubble, a chest that contained all of P.B. Bliss's stuff, including an unpublished song that we now know as My Redeemer. I will sing of My Redeemer. And that song was published after he died, but he had wrote that before he had perished, and we still sing that today. Now we come to one more. Now I know this is just a small message, but I just wanted to give you some encouragement of some of these great hymn writers and encourage you to study them for yourself. We now come to the last guy, Isaac Watts, in the 1600s. Now, he has a very interesting history. That he was considered the founder of English hymnology and of children's hymnology. He was very uh, instrumental in making sure there were songs for kids to be able to sing. And that they could sing to God as well. 
Isaac Watts' father was put in prison when Isaac Watts was born for being a Baptist preacher and not going to the Church of England. During the time they had something called the Covenical Laws that said that all British citizens are required to attend the services of the Church of England. Well, Isaac Watts's uh, father was a Baptist pastor and he said, listen, I can't obey that law. I'm a pastor of a Baptist church. And so he was put into prison. And so Isaac Watts grew up in that lineage knowing that his father was put in prison for preaching the gospel and standing for the word of God. In 1702, Isaac Watts became a pastor of an independent Baptist church in England where he served for the rest of his life. In 1707, Isaac Watts published a collection of 210 hymns entitled Hymns and Spiritual Songs, which was the very first English hymn book in existence. And it was because of him. In fact, because of his influence, until D.L. Moody came, most of the churches in England refused to sing any other hymns unless it was written or put together by Isaac Watts. He had such an influence. Now, what's interesting about Isaac Watts is that he wasn't a very uh, boisterous man. He was only five foot tall big old eyes and a big head that just didn't match his body. And of course, they wore the wigs back there too. And so he wasn't a very dominating uh, personality. He was always like an odd duck. But yet he was used in such a great way to really give England and thus later on America the hymns that we know today and set up the type of hymns that we have today. He wrote over 600 hymns of his life, including Joy to the World, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and I Sing the Mighty Power of God. In fact, when he died, because of the covenical law that unless you were a Church of England, you weren't even allowed to be buried in a proper cemetery. When he died, they actually had to bury him in a pulper's um, uh, graveyard with an unmarked gravestone uh, because he was a Baptist preacher and wasn't recognized as an official Church of England. Which brings us back to here. Now again, I just quickly touched upon their lives just to give you a taste. And I encourage you to go read some of them yourself. There are so many more hymn writers. Ira Sankey, uh, uh, <coughs> a Whittle, to Townser, to study them for yourself, to see their backgrounds, to see where they came from, uh, see some of the ones who only are famous for one song or two, like Horatio Spafford singing, um, writing the song, It Is Well. But as for us, we come to this point again. Psalm 47, verses 6 and 7, it says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our King. Sing praises. For our God is King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. And because of the efforts of these hymn writers, we have the ability to sing praises to God with songs that make sense, that have understanding, that could teach us more about our God because he used these men and women as instruments in his hand. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.